In the pages of American history, the Revolutionary War produces some very well-known and widely talked about moments. Washington crossing the Delaware, Paul Revere warning colonists of an impending attack, untrained American militiamen defeating orderly ranks of British redcoats. But there is one story in America's fight for independence that you won't find in history books. This is the story of British prison ships during the Revolutionary War. Historians can't seem to agree on when the Revolutionary War actually began. There's the Boston Massacre, the shot heard round the world in Lexington and Concord, and the Boston Tea Party. But which event really started the war? Well, we're not going to find out on this episode, sorry, as I'm going to tell you about something else relating to the war, the very first casualty of the American Revolution, 11-year-old Christopher Sider. From time to time, during the How Did We Miss That podcast, we may talk about details of crimes that some may find triggering or disturbing. Listener discretion is highly advised. Welcome to a themed episode of How Did We Miss That? I'm Christine. And I'm John. Yeah, we're going to bring it back to our American roots because it's Independence Day. Well, it was yesterday. Yesterday. Close enough. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought we should go back to our war for independence and discuss some of those things that maybe people didn't know about. Yeah, we're kind of teaming up and taking a uh, revolutionary war. A revolutionary approach. Yes, we are. And... uh, it just occurred to me, those shots we hear in the intro music, those were the shots heard around the world. Maybe. At least sure. in this podcast. Yeah. All right. In this particular one, yes. All right. Enough goofing off. This is serious. Yes. So the story that I'm bringing to you today is something that I have read about in my studies that when I was a kid learning about the American Revolution and the things that we we're taught, it's absolutely nothing was brought up about this whatsoever. So when I learned about it as an adult, I was like, wow, this is actually like a huge deal. Like we really should be talking about this. So that's kind of why I decided to do the uh, treatment of prisoners on the British prison ships during the war. I like that. That's an interesting point you bring up because um, I I was a bad student, I guess, but I did not really pay attention to anything outside of music class all through school. And now that we live here and I'm a big history buff as an adult, I really wish I knew more. So I'm learning now in my 40s. Thank God you teach the subject and we do this stuff because I'm learning. So I love it. Right. In New York's East River, docked in Wallabout Bay, these 16 ships held American prisoners in unbelievable conditions. Sometimes referred to as ghost ships, the prison ships were basically what we know as concentration camps except on the water. The HMS Good Intent, Grovesner, Falmouth, Lord Dunless, Scorpion, Judith, Myrtle, Chatham, Kitty, Good Hope, Frederick, Woodlands, Clyde, Hunter, and Perseverance all served as floating dungeons, but none was more infamous than the prison ship HMS Jersey. So we're going to talk about Jersey today. That's a lot of dungeons. Yeah, there was about 16 of them. What year is this again? 
well, 1700s because it was during the war. Yeah, so, so these were spanning from 1776 ish to These were obviously British ships, right? The colonists yes. didn't have ships. Okay. No. So, in fact, it was not Saratoga or Trenton or Yorktown. The single bloodiest conflict was on board this one ship. Ooh. There was no way to know exactly the amount of people that perished on this vessel, but most scholars have put the number at 11,500. Oh, my goodness. That means that's twice as many Americans died on this one ship than died in combat during the entirety of the Revolutionary War. Wow, really? Yes. That seems mm-hmm. like a very low number of mm-hmm. overall casualties. That's mm. what it says. Interesting. Yeah, it, it totally flabbergasted me as well. I was like, what? Although, but I don't know, know why that, we don't learn about this. This is enormous. That's yeah. an enormous amount of people. Yeah, and I guess the weaponry used at the time maybe didn't wasn't lethal. It was more like I think it was a lot of you, losing arms and legs and yeah, yeah. stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. The conditions on board the Jersey were nightmarish to say the least. But I want to tell you a little bit about the Jersey first. She was used as a British naval ship. But in 1770, the ship was hulked, which basically means that it was stripped of literally like everything, like cannons, guns, masts. It was all just ripped away and it was turned into like a warehouse, sort of, that they put on the East River until 1790 when that's when it became a prison. So the conditions on board the Jersey, like I said, they were awful the prisoners were locked in dark overcrowded holds for days on end often with not even enough room to lie down they couldn't even sleep (laughs) they were too crowded in there they were given a mixture of sea and river water and moldy food if they were actually given anything at all they were infested with lice fleas and rats for toilets they used huge barrels that would just be left there for days to overflow with waste and actually, some of the prisoners, if they, like, I guess, volunteered to empty out the barrels, were given like a little bit of an extra ration. Mm. Extra moldy food. Yeah. This sounds like uh, modern day Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I just can't even imagine what that might have smelled like. Yeah. Ugh. So gross. Ugh. The icing on the cake was the terrorizing from the guards who showed absolutely no mercy to any of the prisoners. Most of the prisoners had little hope of ever making it out alive. German mercenaries, American soldiers, and African-American soldiers were all crammed below decks with no light or fresh air because they were thought to be less than human. They weren't even worth being politically traded. As many as 1,100 men could be found at a time on the ship that was meant to only hold 400 sailors. Ooh. Yeah. So they're like laying on top of each other. They are crammed. Ugh, gross. An average of eight corpses a day were buried from Jersey alone. Men would come by shouting, bring out your dead. Isn't that just like... <laughs> yeah. So cheerful. Bring out your dead. And then the guards would take the bodies, wrap them in rope, and they'd send them down. Down the ship to leave, I guess. And then they were buried along the shore. At least they buried them and didn't just chuck them in the river. You'll hear how they buried them. Oh, excellent. All right. Abolitionist. Abolitionist. I'm having a really hard time with the shushes today. Wow. Lots of sh turning into suh. So it's shushes. Yeah. Yeah. Abolitionist. Yes. James. See how it like shh. Yeah. You would never, you'd never be cast in uh, Hamilton. Lots of. No. Yeah. Too many. 
use of the word abolitionists. Can't do that. Yeah, can't do it. Yeah, no. All right, well, anyway, James Fortin was one of the prisoners aboard the Jersey, and he said, quote, when a man died, he was carried up on the forecastle and laid there until the next morning at 8 o'clock, when they were all lowered down the ship sides by rope, round them in the same manner as though they were beasts. There was eight died of a day while I was there. They were carried on shore in heaps and hove out the boat on the wharf, then taken across a hand barrow, carried to the edge of the bank where a hole was dug, one or two feet deep, and all hove in together. It is reported that 11,700 and odd was buried at this place and in this manner. End quote. I love the way people spoke back then. In 1778, Robert Sheffield escaped from one of the prison ships and told his story in the Connecticut Gazette that was printed on July 10th, 1778. He was one of 350 prisoners held in a compartment below the decks. He said, quote, The heat was so intense from the hot shining sun on deck all day that they were all naked, which also served the well to rid of vermin. But the sick were eaten up alive. Their sickly countenances and ghastly looks were truly horrible, some swearing and blaspheming, others crying, praying, and wringing their hands, and stalking about like ghosts, others delirious, raving and storming, all panting for breath, some dead and corrupting. The air was so foul that at times a lamp could not be kept burning, by reason of which the bodies were not missed until they had been dead ten days. Yuck. You know what I've never understood about this war? In particular, hmm. the the British were so mean and nasty to the colonists. These were their people, like years before that. They all came from the motherland right. here, and I totally understand. Like they pissed them off and said we're going to revolt and all that stuff. But these are your people. It's not like when we go fight, you know, a different country where they're not our people. I mean, that sounds very inhumane because people are people. Oh, what should it be? But you know what I mean. They're like. They're the enemy. They're different from us. These are like the same people. It's, yeah. it's mind-boggling to me. Yeah. Well, you'll, I'll tell you in a minute a little bit more about that. Yeah. In August of 1776, the Battle of Long Island and the fall of Fort Washington brought in over 3,000 prisoners. And at one point, there were more prisoners on board the ship than Washington's troops. At this point, there were like no Geneva conventions, right? Yeah. To put rules on how prisoners were treated and the guards were left basically to just decide what they wanted to do with them. Yeah. There was, so there's like no regulation whatsoever on yeah. the treatment or how much food they should be getting each day and all that stuff. Yeah. The crown was no help either. They saw these men as traitors to the crown and therefore they were less than human. Mm-hmm. So you hear about, you know, People that are under arrest getting put in the Tower of London and getting tortured and whatever. Yeah. That was still better (laughs) than what these people got because they basically have completely denounced the the crown. So they're nobody to them anymore. Yeah, I see. Georgia Washington was no help either. As he felt that the condition of the men aboard left them so weak that a trade would only serve to give more strength to British forces. Did you say Georgia Washington? No, I said George. Oh, I thought you said Georgia. I'm like, who's that? His sister? No, George. <laughs> George. I think I probably said George. Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. No, George. Good old, good old George Washington. Good old George. Yeah. So basically he was like, oh, these aren't going to help me. They're so weak. Why do I need them? Yeah. It's just going to give more because they would have to trade mm-hmm. British prisoners for them. Yeah, so it yeah. would just give more yeah. force to the British. Mm-hmm. So 
He didn't want to do it. I see. Though it is said that he did write to dignitaries asking for better treatment on board the ships. Gee. Thanks, George. Thanks, George. Yeah, real sweet. Yeah. The prisoners did actually have a couple of options to make it off the ship, though. If they were officers or could somehow pay their way, they were granted a type of house arrest. Hmm. Where they were allowed to leave the ship, but must promise to stay in a certain geographical location. Oh, it's like they had the bracelet on. Pretty much. The, The ankle, yeah. So during this time period, your promise, your word was like a huge deal. Oh, yeah. So I think they just relied on the fact that... Yeah. Breaking a promise and saying you're not going to, like, you're going to leave and not stay where you were supposed to stay. Yeah. Is like you are, you know, mm-hmm. worthless, yeah. basically. So, so a, a lot of uh, officers were able to buy their way off the ship, basically. Yeah. The prisoners could also leave by jumping ship and trying to swim to shore. Hmm. Though the cur- current and icy conditions did not allow many of them to actually make it because they were so weak. Yeah, they've been eating moldy food and mm -hmm. sleeping on top of each other. Lastly, they could pledge allegiance to the crown and promise to join British forces. Mm. That would get them off the ship. Yeah. So I have to say, like, I don't know. I want to say hoorah, but I don't know what that is. But anyway, (laughs) to the the men that just died, they could have said, oh, sure. Okay, I'll fight for you. Yeah, that's uh, but they died instead, which is honorable. That's how it all started, man. Admirable. That's what that's what our military does today. They die for the cause. Right. Thank you very much. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen. In October of 1777, France finally came to our aid, and now General Washington had strength in numbers and decided it was time to grow some cojones and write to <laughs> Lord General Howe that they would now begin treating the almost six thousand British prisoners. With the same courtesy they were showing the Americans. You know, I've got to say I'm 42 years old. That's the first time I've ever heard George Washington and Cajonis in the same yeah. sentence. That's good. You're good welcome. stuff. I like that. Yep, thanks. <laughs> he also appointed a commissary general of American prisoners who gave $27,000 to help improve the conditions for the prisoners. That's got to be a lot of money back then. Yeah. However, New York's most notorious Marshal Provost William Cunningham had been embarrassed by over 200 Sons of Liberty in 1775 when he pledged his allegiance to the crown. Mm-hmm. Um, so he decided he was going to take his revenge and steal and sell the rations of over 2,000 prisoners. And then he proceeded to hang or poison hundreds of captives in secret. So I don't think this worked. Yeah. Yeah. Bad idea. Mm-mm. To the men fighting in the war, to be captured and put on one of these ships was like being sent to hell. Today, so many people live and work in Manhattan, moving past the East Bay, never knowing what horrors befell those who died in Wallabout Bay. At Fort Green Park in Brooklyn, the prison ship Martyrs Monument serves to memorialize those 11,500 souls who gave their life for our country. We got to check that out next time we go. That area is probably super haunted. I'm sure. Yeah. So there's also, I didn't even mention, there was also Sugar House prisons. Yeah. Um... But because they didn't have as much casualties, they're not as prominently discussed. But there were also quite a few people that died in those as well. And in, oh gosh. Are those exactly how they sound where they're making maple syrup? They yeah, turned it into they were prison? sugar houses. Well, and at they least that it smells better, I guess. They actually also, um, so it's, I think, is it Columbia now? The university? Yeah, I think it it's Columbia now, but it was King's then. College. Yeah. That was also turned into a prison as well. Wow. At that time. So that's really 
lots of prisoners back then. Yeah. But um well anybody that went against the uh the crown was a prisoner. Right. And there's a spot in Manhattan I believe that uh part of one of the sugar houses still stands and they have like a little plaque there which I'd love to see as well. Yeah. As anyway, the, that's that's my story. As the great Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader at the time once said, if you're not with me, you're my enemy. That's the same concept the British had. Yeah. So lots mm-hmm. of prisoners. Yeah. All right. Well, as you said in the beginning for this very special Independence Day episode, as you like to say, the day Will Smith saved us from the aliens. That's right. Absolutely. Let's take a trip back in time to 1770. I'm going a little further back. A little further back. Yeah. Than you. The English colonists were really starting to hit their stride here in the old colonies. Mm -hmm. I won't say United States, and especially in Massachusetts colony. Massachusetts was the center of the movement for independence, as we know. It's where America began, basically, here in Philadelphia. We like to fight with Philadelphia about that, but, you know. We know it's really us. Yeah, it started here. Them being the center of the revolution, uh, it earned them the nickname of the Cradle of Liberty, it's a good Ooh, band name. I like that. Right? Isn't that like a good hard rock, like, yeah. independence, like, fuck you band name? I don't know. Like, yeah. yeah. A little harder than Dropkick Murphys. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Anyway, the colonists here had, uh, let's say, uneasy relations with the British monarchy. In other words, the people of Massachusetts really weren't a whole lot different than they are nowadays. Pretty direct, feisty, mm-hmm. passionate, and in my opinion, wicked awesome. <laughs> I mean, who just stands up to the most powerful country in the world with next to nothing and gets away with it? Mm -hmm. Boston, that's who. Yep. Right? After living here for a couple of years, you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So as I mentioned in my uh, introduction, the Boston Tea Party was representative of this kind of protest spirit of 1770s Massachusetts. The people were fired up. They wanted to go tell you about it. Um, However, it was a different event that really kicked off the conflict and put it into high gear. And that's the Boston Massacre. My story isn't really about that, so I won't go into too much detail. But for context's sake, here's the Cliff Notes version. Okay? Okay. The Boston Massacre was a confrontation on March 5th, 1770, where British... Oh, see? I pass it on to you. I was going to say British shoulders. It's hard to move (laughs) from the sh to the sir. Yeah, so... It's very difficult. (laughs) I don't think the British... Their shoulders had anything to do with this. I mean, I'm sure <laughs> well, it did. Well, I mean, they carried like the weight on their shoulders, yes, right? Yes, the weight of the world. Metaphorically yeah. speaking, their shoulders are super important. <clears throat> okay. Anyway, British soldiers shot and killed several people while being harassed by a mob of colonists in Boston. Familiar names like Samuel Adams, yes, the beer guy, mm-hmm. and Paul Revere heavily publicized the event, which only poured fuel on an already raging fire burning for the 13 colonies. They were already fed up. And so every time they publicized something, it just got them all spun out of control. Can I say something interesting, though, about John Adams? Yeah, of course. You mean Sam Adams? Oh, I thought you said John Adams. Sorry, never mind. Well, please do tell us your fun fact. Well, John Adams actually um, defended the British soldiers in court. Oh, yes. thanks, John. Yeah. Nice no, guy. that's bad. No, yeah. Come on, John. Get it together. <laughs> what kind of abolitionist are were, you? They were actually found not guilty. Oh, all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he's a good lawyer then. Yeah, he's a very good lawyer. This sounds like the way to start a war, right? By publicizing things? No, sure. Of yeah. course. Well, the, as the way um, 
as the way as I mentioned earlier, the actual start of the war is still undecided by historians. These right. these nerds love to get together and argue. No, it was Lexington. No, it was the massacre. No, it was the Tea Party. Not blah 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 blah. No, Han Solo shot first. Back then there was yes, exactly. Nice. <laughs> oh man, you're so hot right now. You've never been hotter. So there wasn't really a formalized declaration of declaration of war. See, I mean, I'll choke. I up know over we're here. all like I'm all a Twitter because of that Han Solo comment. <laughs> Woo. Mm. Anyway, there was not a formalized declaration of war like there is nowadays. And one can say any of the aforementioned acts that I've talked about could, you know, be considered a declaration of war. I mean, For sure. you know, you throw all my tea in the ocean, I'm going to get pissed off and that's fie on you. We shall go to war. You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, for this patriotic, red-blooded American father, the event I'm going to get into now would have been a declaration enough for this guy. Okay? Right. In 1770, the American colony strongly resisted the British Townshend Acts. Mm -hmm. These were the acts that taxed the goods, such as lead, paper, tea, paint, and glass. The British, for obvious reasons, also had a strong desire to tax these goods. Hello, to make money, right? Right. Boston merchants had banded together and agreed to boycott British goods in protest to the tax. But throughout the rest of the colonies, people wondered whether they continued to honor this non-importation agreement or if the merchants would just kind of change their mind halfway through because they weren't making any money. Right. Boston was able to convince other colonies to join in, but the cost took its toll. Like I said, people lost some money. They were not making profits. After several years of struggling to make those profits, the merchants were set to announce formally that they would no longer honor the boycott agreements and would resume selling British goods. So they sold out right. because they weren't making money. Happens nowadays too, I guess. Yeah, for we, sure. We get all tough with China and then we're like, ah, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, a man na- by the name of Theophilus Lilly, the names were so cool back then. It's a pretty right? interesting name, yeah. He was one of the first merchants to break the agreement officially. While some of the merchants disregarded the breaking of the agreement quietly, they just did it, you know, under the radar. Right. Lilly did so with a flourish, announcing his intentions, intentions in a letter to the Boston Chronicle. In a time with no TV, social media, or other distractions, everyone who could read got the Chronicle and saw the letter, which naturally led to a controversy. Right. <clears throat> His decision led to dueling letters and articles in the papers, and on the night of February 22nd, an actual protest broke out in front of his house due to these letters. Kind of similar to now, right? Mm-hmm. Except people don't argue with letters. They say nasty things on Twitter, but the end result is often a protest. It's still letters. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, it is. Well, you're probably wondering when the history lesson will end, and I'll get to the point of the story. Yeah? No, I love history. <laughs> well, the time is now, I promise. A number of boys attended the protest in front of Lily's house, and they placed a sign that read, Importer! Mm-hmm. Out in front. I'm guessing this was super mean and insulting for the time and the situation. I don't know, because <laughs> he got pretty mad. Following the placement of the sign, the protest kicked up a notch and became explosive. There wasn't any actual explosions. That's just a term for, what is that, an adjective? Yeah. For To add emphasis that it was getting a little fired up. Right. A British customs officer named, are you ready for this one? Ebenezer Richardson. Again, super cool name. Stepped in the middle of the fracas and tried to stop the demonstration. I just want to point out for the listeners, I didn't copy this from Wikipedia. Fracas, that's my word. It's a nice word. I use that on my own volition. 
It's a good so, scrabble word. I don't want anybody to think I'm just reading from the internet. That's all me, baby. Mm. Does that make you hot? Like the Han Solo comment made me hot? A little bit. Good. I love it. Richardson urged the passing men to tear down the sign and said, hey, guys, come on, basically, you know, play nice. We don't need to put that sign up. Let's take it down. Well, the men declined his nice suggestion and pushed him back by pelting him with dirt and stones as he fled. Typical of good old Murica, that wasn't enough, and the mob continued to pursue him all the way to his house. Richardson ran inside his house once they got back there and fired his musket without any ammo in an attempt to disperse the crowd. I guess with a black powder gun like a musket, you can actually fire it, make it go boom without any actual. I was projectile. just wondering about that. Like, I was how too would that because be possible, but... yeah, like my guns, unless you have an actual thing in there to make it fire, there's not going to be any sound. Well, how just, about like movie click. guns? How do they do they have like different bullets inside that aren't bad or something? Yeah, they put blanks okay. in them. So like if once the hammer actually strikes the powder, but there's no projectile on the tip of the bullet, it'll make the bang, but nothing will come out. Hmm. Since they were using like musket balls and not an actual bullet, they must have la- loaded it with black powder. Just with the powder. Yeah. Caused an explosion, but no projectile. Got it. That's what I'm guessing. I'm no musket expert, depending, you know, it kind of sounds like I am, but I'm not. <laughs> well, this unfortunately did not re- achieve the desired results. And he returned to his window to fire again, this time with the weapon loaded. Uh-oh. The shot made contact with two of the boys from the mob, a teenager named Samuel Gore who was injured, and 11-year-old Christopher Sider, who was killed after being struck in the chest by the musket ball. The news of the shooting raced through the city with newspapers stopping their presses to ensure accounts of the story would be included in the day's edition. Quick fun fact, the term stop the presses literally came from stopping the printing press to add the new story. Yeah. <clears throat> I didn't know that until I read this. Mm. I mean, it makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, It's kind of like canceling your printer when you hit one too many copies. That's right. Shit, stop, stop. It was said that nearly 1,000 people attended his funeral, and there was hope that the tragic death might calm things down a little bit. I mean, it's a kid, right? Right. Well, it had the opposite effect, as just 11 days later, the Boston Massacre took place, and the March to Revolution raged on. In fact, probably got kicked up a little bit. Right. One more thing. As for Richardson, he was tried and convicted of killing, of the killing and was imprisoned for a time, but was later pardoned by the king, and even offered a post with the government in Philadelphia in 1773. That's nice. Thanks, George. Not your George. King George. Yeah. Well, publishers of the news would get their revenge on Richardson and the king, ultimately, and they attacked him as only the media could, with a story about him fathering a child out of wedlock. Oh, oh, that's bad. We really need that dramatic sound effect here I talked about last episode. To make this story sound even more heinous... They said that he had allowed a pastor to take the blame for his wrongdoings. Oh. Big scandal, right? Dirty. Richardson was shamed and reveled by the story. And he was basically what we call canceled in today's society and would let her f- later flee back to England. Right. I'm done. So, I mean, that's my story. There wasn't a lot of information about the actual right. killing of the child. Um, but like I said, while a lot of... Much people, people much smarter than me, have their opinions about how and when the war started. I think it's pretty clear now that what we learned from this episode: England started it when they killed a kid. America rules, and England can suck it. Sure. <laughs> so it's it's really interesting because in all history books, we hear the first casualty is being Crispus Attucks in Boston Massacre as the first person to be shot, which made the colonists start fighting with the. British soldiers, which 
made everything go crazy. So yeah. with this this poor kid, he's eleven. Yeah. He deserves to be memorialized as well. And, you know, I, I mean, I joke with the suck at England thing, but I mean, the mob did follow him back to his house. They didn't need to go that far. They could right. have just pushed him back. You know, I mean, there's the, the castle law. If someone tries to storm our house, I, I'm legally allowed to shoot them. That's what this guy did. Right. I mean, it's just unfortunately it was a kid. Yeah, it sucks. That it was a kid. He was just shooting into the mob, though. He did not aim for this kid, but right. the mob was mostly boys. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting you say that about what most people think, because the Lexington Concord crowd thinks that the war started when they, um, whoever shot first in that situation, killed somebody. And that's the actual start. But that was five years after all this went on. Yeah. A lot can happen over five years. I mean, I think it's it's a really hard argument. Because there's lots of things that, like, had that not happened, maybe this other thing wouldn't happen. Right. So, I mean, like, the the dumping of the tea yeah. made yeah. King George so angry that he's going to tax us even more to pay for what we right. Right. completely destroyed, which made them even angrier, which led to these protesting, which led to the massacre, when, you know? Yeah, I think we should so just all um, agree that, similar to, like, the war in Iraq and stuff nowadays, it started when... One government tried to be kind of heavy-handed with the other. Right. And the people that the colonists wanted their freedom. And when George said, no, I'm going to tax you and all these things, well, it started this spiral of events that ultimately led to, fuck yeah, America, July 4th, fireworks, <laughs> all right. Beer. Yeah. Hot dogs. Hot dogs, yeah, all the things. And they all partied with hot dogs and beer. Yes. Um, It's really interesting to me as being a teacher and studying this, when you hear the actual history behind all of it. And you know that a lot of the taxes were to pay for military personnel in the colonies to help get things started. Basically law enforcement yeah. in a way, yeah. you know, be protecting the colonists. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to pay for that. You can't just, I mean, we pay for our police force. Was this the uh, first defund the police movement Maybe. of America? Yeah. So, I mean, and the, Yes, they were taxing to pay for a very expensive war that they just finished. That shouldn't have been on the colony's shoulders, but... Well, yeah. I kind of get where it was coming from. Yeah. But then also, like, it's not cool to do all this stuff without letting people have their say in it. Yeah. No, I got you. It all makes sense. eh, It's Uh, a weird thing. I don't think anyone in hindsight is at fault. And I will say that this state in particular does a real good job of recognizing... Everyone involved, like some of the graveyards we go to have British soldiers and their flags and whatever. And so, you know, it's a obviously Great Britain's our allies now and we're all we're all chums. Mm -hmm. We're all mates, as you will say. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, But very interesting time in uh, our history. That's my favorite besides the Civil War. Well, hopefully we taught you guys some new things you didn't know. Yeah. I'm hoping. Yeah. All right. Well, if you want any more information on these stories, please make sure to follow us on social media at How Did We Miss That? We're almost at 300 Instagram followers. Whoa. Woo, woo. We're like almost influencer status. I know. I mean, not so, really. So excited. Yeah. So yeah, make sure. Add, go to that. Get me to 300. Do it. At How Did We Miss That? Yes. Yes. And until next week, keep your head up and look out for each other. Bye.